Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. I'm joined today by Mark Wainwright. He is owner of Wainwright Insights. He offers fractional sales management consulting to professional services companies, and I think I got that correct. Is that correct, Mark? You did. Thanks, Matthew. It's nice to be here. Awesome. Uh, so Mark reached out to me about talking about some interesting topics uh, around sales, around account planning, around where we think the industry's going, um, ways that sales can improve. So we're going to get into that here in a second. First, I want to go over Mark's a bio so everyone's familiar with uh, his expertise. And then we're going to kick it over to Mark to discuss his journey into the AEC space or professional services space, depending on how he categorizes what he does. And then we're going to get into the meat of the conversation and talk about where we think sales is going and where there are opportunities. So Mark is the founder and principal of Wainwright Insight, a sales consul consultancy to professional services firms. Leveraging his 20 years of sales and marketing experience, Mark offers fractional sales management to firms who sell their expertise. He bills himself as a part-time sales manager to part-time salespeople, like architects, advisors, engineers, analysts, and other consultants who are skilled at their craft but often lack the organization and sales acumen that firms and individuals need to win new work and grow their practice. Um, and if anyone is, if anyone's paid attention to our content beyond the podcast, you know how passionate I am about thought leadership and how I think that is the future in a lot of sales in this space. And it sounds like Mark is well on his way there. So, uh, Mark, glad to have you. I'll kick it over to you. And why don't you tell us how you got started in this space and a little bit about your career? Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for the intro. I, as I mentioned in that, as you mentioned in the in the bio, uh, I've been around professional services and experts for over 20 years now. Uh, mostly uh, those that work in the built environment, architects, engineers, less on the construction side of things. Uh, spent a little bit of time after about eight years or so in working with architects and engineers. A little bit of time outside of the, the AEC world working in management consulting, and that's where I was introduced to and started to learn a lot more about sales. Because uh, if you're a marketing manager, marketing director, as I was with some of these architectural and engineering firms, is that you don't really use the word sales, you don't participate in sales, you don't understand the practice of sales. So I had to kind of be introduced to that outside of the industry. But about six years ago, I made the decision that I really appreciated and enjoyed the relationships I had built, the people I had worked with. So I wanted to re-enter that world uh, and potentially even offer uh, the work I do to other professional services firms. But I wanted to come back and work with those practitioners and those experts who needed to understand the importance of sales, increase their sales acumen, as you said, um, and you know ultimately build future sales leaders, get organized when they're selling, and grow their practices. Awesome, awesome. Um, so I'm 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 interested actually in talking a little bit about when you were um, a marketing manager in this space because I feel like that's the you know that's one of the biggest points of change right now where um, for so long at least in my estimation marketing's been proposals internal external presentations and they've been um, they've been precluded from having a real seat at the table and really been given opportunities to test things that have been happening in other industries. What was your experience like in marketing back then and how have you seen things change? Same, I'd say it's, uh, you know, this was, you know, early 2000s or so to the late 2000s and, uh, uh, you know, 2010 or so, I think was when I exited the industry when they were taking people out in the alley like me and saying, look, either you're going to leave or we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to dust you. Um, so it was a rough time for for overhead folks. Um, 
uh, like my role was back then. But um, yeah, the uh, 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 you come into a creative firm, you're going to come, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to come in, I'm going to do some really great marketing communications work with these creative professionals. Uh, we're going to do all the things that you sort of assume uh, are related to traditional marketing activities. Uh, and you find yourself, you know, the vast majority of your, your day, week, month is spent on proposals, which is kind of a compelling venture for some because, you know, you can see that immediate sort of return on investment when you win, right? And there's a lot of zeros with those contracts and you get excited and there's high fives. And so I think that's a, that's a, a compelling thing for uh, people who have traditionally uh, been involved in nothing but overhead activities to be really close to the dollars. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, uh, that's a fun part about proposals. The bad part is, is that you lose all of the other things. You, know, you lose your focus on all of the other traditional critical marketing activities that need to be happening, you know, whether they're brand related or whether they're, you know, lead generation, you know, related, which is something that marketing teams are not really tasked with or, you know, hold that responsibility for uh, in in uh, most AEC firms. So so that's, you know, I would say my my experience was was fairly traditional. And um, I think there's, as you said, there's there's a ripe opportunity for change. Yeah, um, I, I'm inter I I'm interested in uh, have you have you worked with have you worked with many firms that they do actually utilize marketing as a lead general relationship builder? It has more expectations than just, hey, this kind of thing that we do because we feel like we have to. Sure, I I have clients now that extend outside the AEC industry, surprisingly, and they actually realize that marketing needs to be a lead generation uh, engine. Uh, I think there are some firms that straddle, you know, sort of that circle of AEC and maybe outside or so that are starting to develop maybe um, products, you know, productized services, certain uh, particular offerings that they really fully understand they need to have a, a lead generation engine that isn't necessarily built on, um, you know, sort of, you know, handshakes like the the AEC industry is founded on, which are still, you know, that's still uh, a, a, this is still a, a relational business. It's a re relational industry. So that's critical. Uh, but I think if we continue to put too much weight on that foot and not on the other, which is, uh, you know, and I know we'll get to this, buyers tendencies are changing. So, um, you know, not all buyers need to have a, not all buyers want to be in a relational situation uh, to, to, to find and, and, and purchase services. So um, I think we need to, we need to shift our thinking on that. I, I agree a hundred percent. And it's, uh, I think you kind of stated a nuanced difference too, where it's um, the handshakes are still important. It's still relationships. The thing that I've challenged the most lately is the way you form new relationships has changed. It has to change. There are too many factors that are weighing on that. The way people perform their own research, there was a recent Gardner study that over 50% of buyer times is spent is spent just doing research on their own, whether it's digital or in person. It's like they're not spending time with vendors then. Then you introduce work from home. 
you introduce people that have only performed their own research digitally through high school, college, and the beginning of their career. And then you get into this space and all of a sudden these buyers are being told, no, you need to talk to five OEMs or to five different construction companies to be able to get to this answer and spend four months to be able to get here. And if you're the buyer, it's like, it's, it hasn't been like that my whole life. Why is it like that here? And I feel like construction now or professional services generally, because it's, it's not, it's not any different when you get, if we look at how an attorney acquires customers or a money manager acquires customers, it's very similarly. Um, and I think that it's, uh, that's going to change because of the demographics. It's going to be forced to change. And those models that rely on doing business development that starts with in-person of with in-person communications is going to wither on the vine because if you're a buyer, how much time do you have? How much time do you really want to spend? And if you're a younger buyer and you haven't purchased like that your whole life, why are you going to adopt and change that now when all of a sudden you get to work from home too? Agreed. I, uh, you know, I, I can use my own situation. Uh, I, when I started this practice, uh, you know, five plus years ago, uh, I had assumed I'm based in Seattle. I had assumed that my work was going to be local and regional. It was going to be, it was going to have a, um, a, a geographic radius uh, that I was comfortable traveling, uh, where I could serve clients in an in-person fashion. Obviously, you know, we're, you know, in in March 2022, two years ago, things radically shifted. I had to make significant changes to what I do uh, to to keep pace with that, to adjust to those changes. Now I deliver everything virtually, uh, and uh, now I have clients on both coasts. Uh, so it has, um, you know, I, 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 I hate to, to, you know, point to any, any positive impacts the last two years or so, but it has radically shifted on how I think about my services, the work I do, the geographic extent of it. Uh, and my hope would be that, you know, pandemic or not, that, other professional services firms would rethink, uh, you know, the geography, you know, and and how they can serve clients in the different way they can um, not just appeal uh, initially in sort of that buying, selling, buying process, that marketing process, but also serve, you know, from a, from, from a distance. So, um, yeah, we're in a new world. That's for absolutely uh, sure. Hmm. I like the way I like they use the word serve because that's something we talk a lot about in content creation. It's um, you can we can tell them everything you want to tell them. It doesn't mean they're going to listen or care about it. Like you have to go further than that. You have to understand what they're actually trying to search, what do customers want to know, not what do you want to tell them. And I think if you take that approach, you start to view everything differently. If you say, OK, we're not trying to close every deal, we're trying to help them inform their decision-making process and then lead them to us because we're the best choice. I think the way that you do everything shifts, the way you communicate, the way you structure your organization. That's where I haven't seen, I haven't seen any company really embrace that. I've seen people around the edges where it's, hey, we have this marketing and proposals group that's still all jammed together. And then we have sales that really is drives everything, not marketing. And the whole world is shifting in a different direction. And it's like, everyone's sitting here saying, no, 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 we can't wait to get back to in-person events. I haven't heard buyers clamoring to start to meet with salespeople. <laughs> That's great. It's a, it's a, it's a great point. And I, and I, I really appreciate, you know, the, the, and, and it comes out clear, Matthew, the, the, uh, the foundational point you make about being, you know, buyer centric, right. And obviously it's the name of your podcast. So I, you know, and I really appreciate that. And it's a critical shift because the, 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 
buyer behaviors and buyer tendencies are going to be the driver. They are going to be the lead here. You know, years ago, I mean, this is just one of the ways that sales has shifted, right? Sales used to be a seller centric activity. And now the whole selling buying dynamic is a buyer centric activity. Um, and heavily influenced, obviously, by the way that you and I and many others in our personal lives purchase things, right? And mm -hmm. we do it in a in a in a transactional fashion, uh, and a lot of times we do it without um, any relationship, any connection with 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 people. Now, obviously, there are some things in our lives that you know we need guidance, we need assistance. So inevitably, that requires some sort of human interaction, but to ignore the fact that our buying tendencies and behaviors are shifting radically over the last 5, 10, 20 years, um, uh, you know, puts pr professions like all those that fall within that big world of professional services, you know, at risk because they're not keeping pace with that. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, <laughs> I I I agree with I agree with what you said 100% on like the B2C and our buying behaviors. The subtle difference I would I would add to that is um, people are outsourcing more of that decision making to brands, and the way that they come across brands and are informed by brands is different than the way it was previously. Um, I worked for a successful construction company and an engineering company, and you know their branding was yellow trucks. And my thing is like, that's, that is branding, but that's not creating the brand in the marketplace where people are consuming information now. So I think the challenge for these professional service providers is finding a way to reach people where they already consume information, but then build, building that brand recognition through serving your customers with the information they need, and then ultimately trusting they're going to come back because they trust you because they've already been informed by you. But um, like in order like to it. have that done, you have to believe it, right? And that's where right. I see a big challenge. If you don't believe it, you're not going to jump in with two feet. You're going to say, hey, uh, Amy, what were you doing before? Let's have you do digital marketing. Hey, Susie, can you do digital marketing? Michael, you think you can run some Google ads? Right. That's what I see a lot of. <laughs> right, good point. I like it. Uh, and then I... Um, I'm I'm interested in your uh, your perspective on this too. I think that if you if you believe that that's the way customers are, I think we get back to where what people actually describe as business development in this space. To your point earlier, no one says sales; they call it business development. You're not trying to sell anything, trying to develop business, right? So that's always what people have said. That's not always the way people have acted. And I think now the really the the best performing sales professionals will be more of those business development professionals, ones that are interested in the right relationships and interested in guiding the customer, even if it means guiding them away from you so they come back a different time. I think if you take that approach, you can start to see where marketing and sales need to switch off some of the duties, but in no world do you not need business development or sales, however you want to call it. Agreed. Agreed. It's, uh, um, yeah, the, 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 the roles are going to continue to shift. I, I am really looking forward to, uh, uh, you know, all of those marketing sales, business development, and, you know, however you want to look at them. And, you know, I've described it as, you know, three circles in a Venn diagram that intersect in different ways. And some people think business development, it's a big umbrella that sits over top of them. I don't know what kind of visuals people are conjuring in their mind about what those things are, or they could be just, you know, names that are interchangeably used around. But I'm really excited. I think there's a huge potential for all, all of that to change dramatically um, in, in professional services. And I'm really looking forward to the day when, 
Um, and it's 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 likely happening now in very you know kind of forward thinking progressive firms that understand the importance of this. You know where marketing does have a seat at the table, and marketing is accepting a responsibility for lead generation. You know they're saying, okay, so we need X amount of new business, X amount of leads on any given uh, month, quarter, year. Um, marketing says, okay, that's our responsibility. It's not just going to be you know pulling these these solicitations out of thin air and delivering them to someone to do a go no go on it's it's you know actually having clients show up at the front door that say hey i really appreciated your uh the information you had to share digitally through that channel i did my research and as it turns out um i believe we are of like mind so i think i'd like to talk a little bit more with you about how we might work together i'm looking forward to that yeah, me, me too. It's uh, I think all these roles need to shift, and it's funny you mentioned seat at the table because I I've seen this a lot through mentoring more marketers the last couple of years. Everybody they all everybody says they want a seat at the table, and everyone says oh they can do sales, but nobody wants the responsibility. It's well we just want to we don't want to create things like no like what revenue are you driving? How are you like you can't tie everything you do in marketing directly to revenue, but you can look at it holistically and understand. How many more people are coming inbound to you saying, I want to work with you? How many more people are coming up to you at events saying, hey, I know this piece of information and that piece of information? How many times are BD going to a meeting and they already understand the pitch deck so they don't got to deliver that, they can form a relationship? There's all these different ways you can get there. But I see especially marketers, which is a little bit concerning to me, shy away from that. Like, no, oh, well, we can't predict. We don't know if sales is going to close that. We don't know if this is going to happen. And it's like, Oh, okay. This is what I hear about in these other industries. It's already happening. As soon as you have responsibility, it's, oh, I don't want the responsibility. I just want the seat at the table. <laughs> yeah, funny. I uh, uh, You mentioned that whole sort of uh, conflict between marketing and sales. I'm looking forward to that actually starting to emerge inside of professional services. That happens all in many, many other industries where there's actually a conflict where where it is recognized in the organization that marketing is a lead gen engine, right? This is yep. one of their, this is like their major function and they are, you know, passing on marketing qualified leads to sales teams who are or are not closing those deals. And there's all, there's a conflict there. There is no such conflict in the AEC world because marketing isn't, you know, kind of burdened with the lead generation responsibilities. There's really no handoff that happens to sales. And so that dynamic really never materializes, you know, you know, obviously you don't want any conflict to arise, but I would like for both of those functions within professional services to mature to the point where, where that dynamic is happening. Right. Yeah. It would be good. Absolutely. A healthy conflict. Like, right. Hey, let's all get on the same page. Let's challenge each other's assumptions. Cause that's another thing I tell, um, I tell marketers cause you know, a lot of them defer. We have sales experience. That's why you understand. That's why you understand this so well. I'm like, no, because when I work with business development folks, they're not good at this either. They're not good at messaging. They're good at selling. And you have to get out of them, like, what are the customers actually saying? You can't just say, oh, okay, well, they told me this is the most important thing that the customer's concerned about, because that might not be the case. That might be the most important thing they're concerned about their customer's understanding, but it's not what their customers are the most concerned about learning. Yeah, great. Great. So uh, what do you think, what do you think some of the barriers are to companies just completely changing the way they do things. Like my thoughts been recently, um, why I understand there's obviously a need for proposals in 
in this space, right? Like that is, you have you have to do that. What I see is what you described earlier, where proposals ends up sucking up the resources and also getting all the attention because there's a direct opportunity on the line, right? So it's, okay, we're gonna forgo this stuff that pays dividends, compounding dividends months in advance because we wanna focus on this near-term opportunity, close that, get the revenue. So I've, I've thought that, why, if, if you're going to call marketing marketing in this broad bucket here, you should separate it where marketing in the space is actually more of traditional marketing. They have more of a lead gen responsibility, they have brand awareness responsibility. They have a seat at the table, but they also have metrics they're responsible for. Then the internal presentations, external presentations and proposals is put in a different bucket that's more, that's completely operated differently. I don't know where you would put that group, but then when you separate it, you can start to identify like, where's our money going for lead gen? Where's it going to surface or to um, generate these proposals and what makes the most sense? Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think it's a bad idea? And what do you think the barriers are to people trying it? I completely uh, agree, Matthew. The um, creating proposals, RFP pursuit processes and negotiation uh, that happens inevitably during that whole sort of contracting process. Those are all sales activities. When marketing and marketing teams, marketing individuals, marketing staff uh, participate in that process, they are playing a supporting role in a sales function, right? <laughs> so that's it. They're not doing marketing. And uh, um, I think one of the things that happens, this is a little bit of a side, I think one of the things that ends up happening with proposals is they get, because they are, sort of handled by marketing teams, they turn into promotional pieces and they shouldn't be, right? Proposals should be hyper-focused on the clients, the, what the client need is, what the solution that we are presenting to the client is, what the various options that the client has to choose from, et cetera. So it is a client-centric piece, right? I would love to go through the exercise of any proposal anybody would love to throw my way to go through and do a bunch of highlighting. Okay, this sentence is about you, this sentence is about them. And I guarantee 75% of the proposals out, you know, 70% of the content inside of a proposal is all about you and not about the client that you're actually handing it to. So I am I am in full agreement that marketing needs to, you know, uh, take on more of those, like you said, that sort of brand and lead gen responsibilities and have people who are interested in and, and you know, really enjoy that whole process. And frankly, actually, start thinking, maybe I do wanna go into that sort of sales end of things to have them participating in more of the proposal management, proposal generation, because they're, when when you are in sales, sales needs to be client-centric. So you need to be focused on what the client need is, what you're presenting to them, what their solutions are, what their hopeful outcomes are uh, in that document. So I would love to, I would love mm. to, to see that transition happen. Yeah, and I think what where you just brought my mind is you it that function when you break it out internal external presentations and proposals is in sales because that's I mean there are sales and marketing leaders but let's be honest how many of them are actually marketing leaders and how many of them are sales leaders that said hey you're in charge of marketing now too that's what I've seen most of the time and so that's where I think you can change where the stuff that does need to be under sales. Yeah, you know what this does need to go over there. Maybe even external events goes over there, but marketing like this is sales and marketing are so intertwined now we need two leaders focused on it individually agreed agreed and and, and i think that uh you know those separation of responsibilities and roles um is is really really important the challenge i think is because uh, you, you likely have uh, some some members of the listing audience out there who think look our firm is so small that we just we can't 
we can't split that person in half, right? We're, mm -hmm. We have a tough time dealing with those, those, um, those two things separately. A lot of firms are small enough that there's just one person. Maybe if they're even, even a little bit bigger, they're just two people. Um, so yeah, that is a, that is a challenge because they require a, a different thinking. They're, they're different hats. You know, that's one of the challenges as we know of anybody that's involved in marketing in a, in a professional services firms is that, I mean, how many hats do they have to wear on any given day, right? There's just so many. And, uh, you know, that's one of the challenges they have, which is why, you know, and this is not meant to be sort of uh, promotional, but this is a there's, there, there, there's a reason that you are creating the, the, the organization that you are. And there's a reason that I've created the organization that I have is that, you know, we want to provide just enough, you know, just enough hands, just enough expertise to firms of various sizes, you know, without having to bring on an additional FTE. We want to be able to provide that little extra bit of expertise um, where we can help them in these very specific um, areas. So you know that's that's why all these uh, all these other uh, uh, sort of sort of consultants like us are are, um, are 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 out there in order to to provide those those sort of fractional services to firms who can't just bring in a whole person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's what that's really well said. And our business model especially for small, medium-sized businesses reflects that because we offer, essentially, we, we call it your marketing team or your content team. Like if you have right. one person that's skilled, we can create all the content, do all the research, post it, measure it, report on it, and then you can make decisions. If you don't have that, we can actually come in and be your marketing team where we assign myself or another strategist that's essentially your marketing manager, and then we produce all the content, measure it, report on it. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely see that. And I, I see that a lot in this space. And that is, definitely made us change our business model, what it was originally and how it's continued to evolve. And it's a lot different at the enterprise as it is as small, medium, which I'm sure, you know, um, so that was a, that was a really nice segue into, uh, how the thing that I really liked about your bio and, and some of the information I consumed about you was I've worked with a lot of very talented engineers. I've worked with people that from a technical, from a technical skill level are just phenomenal. And even when you meet them in person, they're really, really good. Um, you know, quirky some of them are charismatic but not a lot of them are chess beaters right they're not ones that are out there saying like look at how smart and look at how great i am and i think that's because of the way their profession is but you don't have to do it in that kind of way but there is an element in sales where you can't have people guess what you're good at so why don't you walk us through how you help some of these talented engineers and architects overcome that um, and then you can end with how how they can get in touch and work with you directly sure uh, the, you know, I start with in that, in that you use the term chess beating and, and, and maybe we can, we can uh, look at that as sort of introversion, extroversion, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe ambiversion, you know, a little bit of both. Um, we look at it that way. And, and, and like you said, by and large, a lot of these technical professionals, um, are, you know, on the, on the sort of introverted end of the end of the spectrum, right? The superpower of intro introverts is listening, right? And, and you know, one of the things that I am able to do uh, with them and the work I do when I work with, you know, kind of one-on-one -on -one coaching with these folks is kind of help them rediscover and reignite their sense of curiosity, right? I think that is what got a lot of these people into this business in the first place because they were simply curious. And it was likely when they were fairly young, they were curious. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to know more. They wanted to learn more. They wanted to understand more. And our expertise over time starts to displace that curiosity. 
And they come to this sort of, they, they, they gain this posture that, okay, if I'm in the room, I need to be the expert and I can't be the one that's curious and asking questions, you know, asking the five whys, asking the, you know, just, just um, having that sort of posture. I have to, if they turn to me, I, I can't say, I don't know. That's a bad thing to say. Um, but the reality is, is that uh, curiosity is what is a, is a wonderful entry point for a lot of these introverted people into the sales process because that's that's the biggest tool we have to use early on in a discovery process. Mm-hmm. We have to ask the good questions. We we have to put all of our expertise and assumptions aside. We have to come into it curious. Even if we've been down this road before, right? Even if, you know, we've already solved this problem in our head, we have to ask the right questions. And and I think the expertise starts to emerge. I think prospective clients and the folks that are on the other side of the table start to see the expertise in the questions that you ask. It is easy to talk about ourselves. It is really hard to come out, come up with fascinating questions that challenge the buyer, challenge their prospective consultants in a way that they hadn't been challenged before. Like there is so, so questions, good questions are so powerful and they, um, they imply expertise. So I think that's first and foremost, we start there and I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not, you know, working with engineers and saying, okay, right. Go to your Toastmasters meeting and stand up (laughs) in a big room and start do your speeches to kind of gain this thing. Like you're not, these are, these are deep personality characteristics that we're not going to change. So we have to figure out ways to direct these technical professionals, um, and and that's one of them. We start with this curiosity. Um, we put aside our assumptions and our expertise just for the moment. Let's put that aside. Let's be curious. Let's develop a really good understanding. Let's reflect that understanding back to our prospective clients. Let's make sure we got that right. We heard everything right because there's a logic to it that says we must understand first before we can propose. Must understand first, right? It's that whole sort of you know, <laughs> the medical professionals need, you know, without proper diagnosis, prescription is malpractice, right? So if we have a deep understanding and we have a good good bead on what the problem is, then we can propose. We're not going to race the proposal. So so I think that's what we start with first. And, and, and over time, these professionals start to understand that, okay, so I'm going to flesh out this really deep understanding so then I'm armed with enough information that I don't have to create a proposal that's stacked on a mountain of assumptions where we're making wild guesses and 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 giving these these wide ranges of of prices and scopes and everything else where we can really be focused and I can come to them and say, okay, so here's some really good options in this proposal that we've thought through because we've come to understand all these things about you. So that's kind of where we start. And I think that's that's how it ends up being manifested in um, deep understanding with really um, good proposals and approaches that aren't filled with assumption. What are some What are some situations that organ What are some business challenges that organizations are facing, and they reach out to you, and and how do you help them? I would say the the one of the top ones is they have a next generation uh, of firm leaders who have gotten there because uh, they are technically proficient. They're good project managers. They're good um, project architects, project engineers. You know, they've been doing it for a while. They're 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 exhibiting uh, some of those leadership characteristics, uh, and 
maybe it's maybe the first generation is a, is a group of founders who are naturally sort of entrepreneurial uh, in in nature. And that's one of the the challenges with founders that founders don't necessarily hire replacements. <laughs> they hire people to kind of do the work. They don't hire, you know, newly. They don't, you know, entrepreneurs don't hire entrepreneurs. It just doesn't work that way, right? That's just how not how they're built. You know, I when I when I worked in management consulting outside, I worked with a guy named John Cotter, and um, you know, he his one of the 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 sort of foundational parts of all the work he has done is in organizational leadership. Um, and he he you know drilled into me as as he did others uh, that he uh, worked with. Um, is that you know the the primary function of leadership is to build more leaders, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that is the one of the top reasons firms will come to me is that okay, so these folks have shown that they're technically proficient, they're showing certain leadership skills. We've got two or three that are sort of on deck for firm ownership for firm leadership, but the one puzzle piece that they're short on is this whole new business thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Is their ability to, um, you know, build and maintain long term relationships, really work opportunities from a maybe to a close and do that in an effective way and do that at, at, at volume, you know, and mm -hmm. do that where there's actually, um, you know, a good number of dollars and cents attached to that. So um, that's that's one of the main ones. Awesome. How do folks get in touch with you? Well, I have a hopefully uh, helpful website at WainwrightInsight.com. They can reach uh, reach me there. I, uh, try to participate as much as I can on LinkedIn. So that's a good social channel to connect with me. Uh, and, um, yeah, just, uh, if, if you are in a professional services firm and want to know more about, um, selling and maybe just why you should, why you should consider selling an important part of your organization, um, then I'm happy to chat. Awesome. So we'll put, uh, We'll put all that stuff in the show notes. So we'll have a link to Mark's LinkedIn as well as to his website. Um, Want to thank everyone for tuning in this week to another great episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. Um, before we end here, Mark, we always like to ask everyone, what is your, what's your most effective routine or habit? I, uh, I prescribe, I'm probably not an expert with it, but I prescribed it David Allen's getting things done process. So if I can get th something done in two minutes, I get it done right away. If not, it goes on my list. So that is a habit I have developed because there's a lot of, I've got a lot of plates in the air. There's a lot going on. So if I can get it done right away, I get it done. If not, it goes on my list. I prioritize it and then I get to it when, um, when it's time. So there it is. I, I like that one. That's, that's a really good one. Uh, our producer Alicia here helps me with a lot of organization stuff. My trick is I have to figure out which tasks actually take two minutes. Cause I have some two minute tasks that I'm taking an hour and some, some two hour <laughs> tasks that actually take two minutes. So right, <laughs> I got to fix that part first. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, thanks again, Mark. Uh, if anyone is, in, uh, is interested in meeting with Mark, we'll put all the information in the show notes. If you're interested in connecting with me or working with engaging perspectives, please check out our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Till next week, have a great one, everybody. Thanks, Matthew.